Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hartman and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and James Forsyth. Well, we've just had the first Prime Minister's questions of 2022 and it was a little bit different, not just because it was a few hours later than normal. Sir Keir Starmer had to self-isolate again after testing positive for Covid. So Angela Rayner stood in for him and here's a clip of the two of them sparring. We have this Prime Minister and his incompetent leadership. And every time we are faced with a challenge, he denies there's a problem. He tries to laugh it off. He looks for someone else to blame. So can I suggest to the Prime Minister, it's not about brushing your hair, it's about brushing up on your act. Does he accept his incompetence is taking our country backwards and costing our country dear? No, Mr Speaker. What I, what I tell the House and tell the country is that Labour incompetence has ruined this country time and time again and, and there has never been a Labour government... James, what did you make of this first session? I think this first PMQ's VO gave us a preview of what you know, the, the next couple of months are going to be like in British politics. Labour went after Boris Johnson hard on inflation. Angela Rayner brought up that interview at Tory conference when he created this massive hostage fortune by saying that, you know, people's fears about inflation have been unfounded. She said, you know, people are going to find, you know, that their cost of living squeezed. And then she went after Boris Johnson for not cutting VAT on household energy bills, pointing out that it was something he had said that he that, that you know would happen if the UK left the EU in the 2016 referendum. Meanwhile, Boris Johnson was trying to draw a dividing line between him and Labour on COVID restrictions, saying that, you know, when Omicron turned up, Labour had wanted kind of, you know, more measures, a lockdown. He wanted, he'd gone for boosters and boosters had kept the country open. And you can see, I think, here that Boris Johnson is effectively ruling out any further COVID restrictions in this answer because he is so leading with his chin on this. And I think you can see here how he hopes to restore relations with his own party uh, by saying, look, I didn't introduce any more COVID restrictions. And then I think try with the voters to win back some of the government's lost reputation for competence by saying, look, it was that booster programme, how quickly we could ramp it up that kept restrictions off. Meanwhile, Labour are going to go after the government on the cost of living. They clearly see this uh, and they clearly see this as the government's Achilles heel and the issue that they, you know, that they can attack on and try and use it to win back some of those voters that they lost in 2019. Fraser, Conservative MPs are worried about the cost of living. Uh, some of the reposts from Johnson and from some of his outriders over the past few days have suggested they think that uh, Labour and opposition parties are asking the government to do things that governments shouldn't be intervening in. How serious do you think this is going to become for the Prime Minister if, as is always the case, the cost of living isn't actually fully under his control? That's why I think this is such a powerful issue for Keir Starmer. All the crises, which not just Boris Johnson, but the Tories have faced over the last 10 years or so, have always been things that you can try to fix by borrowing more money. COVID comes along, well, let's have a massive furlough scheme, borrow money for that. If there's a crash, then let's um, then let, let's borrow lots of money, have massive state spending. But now, if there's inflation comes along, there is simply not a government tool that you can do to address it, not short term. The only thing governments can do to relieve the cost of living is to cut taxes. But of course, Boris Johnson is going to do the opposite. In April, he's going to increase national insurance by 2p, 1p paid by um, employees, the other one by employers. 
taking a huge amount of money out of people's pocket at a time where they're facing massive fuel bills for a start. I mean, those fuel bills will be landing in January, typically the worst fuel bill of the year lands in January. And then the tax rise comes in April, and then we're going to get the local elections in May. Now, the inflation was 5% of the last count. That is pretty high. It's way higher than the forecasts from the Bank of England or from the... um, Office of Budget Responsibility thought it would be. And that is that's really hurting people. If your salary has not increased by 5% this January, then you are being given a de facto pay cut. That is pretty bad news for a whole bunch of people who wouldn't be able to dream of a 5% salary increase. Salaries have been, uh, have not generally been, been going up that, that level for a while, although if you switch to a new job, quite often you can get a premium that way. But I think the, this is effective because people will start to feel it in the pocket. They're going to feel this is a problem that Boris Johnson hasn't just failed to save them from, but one he's making worse with his tax rises. And I can't see a way out for the government. You can try, in fact, if you take, one of the German political parties is having its um, annual convention tomorrow, and they're discussing whether you can, by law, like force people to have like positive rates and interest rates and things. You know, they're, they're, governments now and again will try dictats on, on money. They'll try to um, put uh, li- limits on what you can charge for things. It tends not to work very well. After all, look where the pro- energy price caps took us in the energy market. So I, I, I see a lot of problems for Boris Johnson once COVID skies have cleared, and I don't see very many solutions. Uh, by the way, I should also confess that um, I got all of that from reading James's political column, which is published in the magazine tomorrow. Available on all good news agents and in your letterbox. Sorry, James, I just stole your thesis, didn't I? No, no, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) James, another topic that came up at Prime Minister's Questions was pressure on the NHS. And we've had more trusts declaring critical incidents and saying that they're not going to be able to perform certain treatments and surgeries as a result of high staff absences, with Manchester, I think, being the latest set of hospital trusts to make this sort of announcement. Boris Johnson last night said that he thought the NHS might be being overwhelmed in some parts of the country, but seemed quite relaxed about that. Is that is that going to hold? I think it depends what you mean by overwhelmed. You know, the, the analogy that Sajid Javid conjured up was, you know, a child gets in, in a car accident and can't be treated. From what I'm hearing, I think that kind of thing is likely to, uh, to, to be fairly rare. But I think what you're going to see a lot more of is, you know, uh, elective surgeries cancelled. And that, I think, is going to be, is going to mean that the NHS waiting list is going to be even longer come the spring than it is now. I also think there's an interesting question about Manchester where one of the problems they've got is that they can't discharge people into care homes and so they can't free up beds. I think that is, I think that is worrying for the long-term future of the NHS because you know, Manchester is meant to be one of the places where there is a greater integration between health and social care, which is meant to be the thing. And I'm, I'm, talking to the, I'm talking to you, Isabel, who's writing a book on the, on, 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 on the NHS. So I, I should defer to you, but you know, this, is, this is meant to be the big idea that could deal with a lot of the NHS's problems. If Manchester has that issue, I think that is concerning. And I think, but I think it is interesting that the concern now in Whitehall seems to be more about staff absences because of Omicron rather than the sheer number of patients being admitted to intensive care because of the virus. 
That's exactly the point made by Professor Tim Spector from King's University who runs the Zoe app. He said a couple of days ago that the crisis in the healthcare sector now is not that anybody's being overwhelmed. Uh, if you look at the hospital occupancy levels, they're still far below where they were at the peak last January. He was saying that the, the crisis is coming from government policy, which is requiring people to isolate when they don't, strictly speaking, need to. Now, this is something we're following on the Spectator Data Hub. If you go to the NHS tab, you can see how many... NHS COVID-related absences there are, and they've they've surged actually from 10,000 in the middle of last month to about 24,000 now. That's a lot of doctors and nurses and other hospital staff not showing up for work. When you look at the um, the, the in Manchester and other parts of the country where they've been declaring many emergencies, they've been staff-related emergencies. And by the way, but they're not the only places. If you go past restaurants or pubs, you can see the same pleas stuck in the notices that they're desperately short of staff and they need people to join the workplace. I mean, we, we saw some figures today that one in every 15 people in England right now has got COVID. That's just an extraordinary figure. It goes without saying, but those people are going to be self-isolating, let alone their, their contacts. So this is really knocking a fair chunk out of the workforce, partly because Omicron spreads so, so widely. And when I look at the spectator office here, I don't know how many of us have had it. Omicron, probably about 60% of us so far. And it, it is, you know, luckily for us, our um, absence has happened over the holidays, so we're able to get back to work and get this podcast on the road. But... There'll be a lot of companies, a lot of the NHS and a lot of the economy who are going to face major staff shortages because people are, are staying home, not because they're especially ill. For a lot of people, Omicron is simply a sore throat, but because that is the government's guidance. Now, Nicola Sturgeon, who was ridiculing journalists who suggested to her that she might cut the isolation period from 10 days to 7 days, has today decided that she is going to do precisely that. She needs to, because as she knows, it's not just the NHS. There are companies, there are key workers, there are all sorts of teachers, all sorts of people need staff workers right now. And very quickly, we can see, start to see a crisis emerging rather different to the one we were all preparing for. We were preparing for ICU units to be overflowing. In fact, the opposite is happening. ICU units are getting quieter. We're now seeing only 7% of COVID patients are in intensive care right now. That ratio has been cut almost in half by the last two or three weeks under Omicron. So it's the shortages now, which the government is going to have to try to find a way of getting around. And it's going to be rather difficult, I think, to cut the isolation period much below seven days. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, why don't you sign up to my daily evening blend email briefing? It's a free roundup and analysis of all the day's political events and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening. Mm